Hello everyone, welcome once again to our Grow Point Church Online. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you are watching us or joining us. Um, I would like to say thank you for joining us in our online service. We are on our current study right now on the first letter of John in the New Testament. And so we are in the fourth installment of this study. And so the title of my message today that I'm going to share to you is uh, Factors of Our Fellowship with God or How Can We Have Fellowship with God. And we're looking right now in verses 5 to 10 in the chapter 1 of 1 John. So I want to read the text to you and then let's pray and then let's dive into the message today. Okay, 1 John chapter 1 verses 5 to 10. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of of Jesus his son cleanses from us from all sin if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we say we have not sin we make him a liar and the word is not and us. Let's pray. Father, right now I pray that you uh, you would fill us with your spirit as we as I proclaim your word and as we listen to your word. Grant us understanding. Grant us wisdom. You have called us to fellowship with you. You have called us to know you. You have called us to experience you. So grant this desire in our heart. Help us to hunger uh, for you more of our lives, Lord. And grant us, as we come into this passage right now, grant us the wisdom to understand what you want us to understand and the courage and obedience uh, to the things you want us to pursue, Lord. You want us to obey. So bless us as we come to your word this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So last time, we learned that the end point, the purpose, the end point of the gospel proclamation is for us to have fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the goal of gospel proclamation. That is what we learn from verses 1 to 4 in the prologue of the chapter 1 in First John. And so the goal is not just for us to have blessed assurance that we will go to heaven when we die. That's not the goal of the gospel. The goal is not just for us to get out of hell, you know, so that we can be forgiven and we're going to heaven when we die and we escape hell. The goal is not even just to get you to be forgiven of your sin. That's not the ultimate goal of the gospel. The ultimate goal in the gospel based on verses 1 to 4 is so that we can have fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So the true blessedness of the good news the end point of the good news is that you and I can have fellowship with God. That's the greatest miracle, okay? That's the greatest pursuit of the gospel, that you and I have this fellowship with God. And it's available for every believer in Jesus Christ. And this is what the purpose of the gospel over and over again 
emphasized in the New Testament. For example, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, he said, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous, that's Jesus, for the unrighteous, that's us. What's the purpose? Why did Jesus suffer for our sin? And Peter says that he might bring us to God. That's the goal, okay? Wala na yung Peter doesn't say that Jesus suffered in order for us to go to heaven. Although that's true, Jesus suffered in order for us just to forgive us our sin. Although that's true, but the ultimate goal why did Jesus die for our sin, bore our sin on the tree, is because God wants us to be. God wants to bring us to Himself in order that we might be brought to God. And so that's the purpose. That's the end point of the gospel so that we can have fellowship with God so that we can enjoy God just like Adam and Eve walk in the garden fellowshipping with God before the fall before the sin against God so that's the original intention for us with God and so we learned last time and we defined last time what fellowship with God is fellowship with God is sharing relationship or an interactive relationship with God is an exchange is an interaction there's an intimacy there's a, it's an experience that we can have with God it's so it's not just mere knowledge or belief about God but it's a real life-changing experience of the Almighty sensing his glory and his presence in our life and it's available for every Christian it's not mere intellect. It's not mere acknowledgement. It's not mere expression of your belief, but a reality that you can experience His glorious presence in your life. And it's available for you because that's the end point of the gospel. And so there's nothing greater than this that we can experience. This is what we are actually looking for, even though we don't know it. This is, this is what our heart cries out. Even though we don't know it yet, you know, this is what we are hungering for in every TikTok videos or in every blockbuster movie that we watch. You know, why do we continue to watch movies that has basically the same plot lines? You know, I watch a lot of movies, and it has basically the same plot lines. Why do we watch it? Okay, all this there's a different characters, but why do we? watch it over and over again it's because it's more than the content we pursue more than the content but we pursue the experience movies reminds us of something that we are looking for okay we're looking for a glorious experience with god this is what we are looking for in sex this is what we are looking for in porn this is what we are looking for in romantic relationship in the world there is a glimpse in us that longs for this experience and it's only available in a fellowship with God and this is what John is talking about in here John says this is actually what I experienced in knowing Jesus this is what I have a fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So I want you to experience what I experienced because as a result, John experienced fullness of joy as a result with his fellowship with the Father and His Son. And so John cannot wait to share this experience 
to his readers as well. John is not selfish, okay? He's not just thinking about himself. He's saying, I have this joy, I have this subterranean joy, and I cannot contain it just for myself. I want to share it to you. I want to proclaim it to you. I want to I wanna share the truth to you. And then from that idea, he transitioned into our section today, verse 5, where he says, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. In other words, John is still talking about fellowship with God. Okay? Because John says, I want to share it to you. So, uh, so the question then is this, what do I need to know, John, in order to experience what you experience? And John is saying, and is answering that question by giving us verse 5 and the following verses that we read. In our section today, John is saying, if you really want to have fellowship with God, if you want to really enjoy God, if you want to experience this subterranean joy as a result of our fellowship with God, then you need to get the message right. You need to understand the principles. And the question is, what is the message? Because Jesus, uh, John says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. In other words, I want you to get this message because I want you to experience this fullness of joy that I experienced as a result of my fellowship with God. So how then can we have fellowship with God? What are the factors? How can we have fellowship with God? And so John is giving us three things in here. I, I want to share to you three things. First, in order to have fellowship with God, you need to understand who God is. Secondly, you need to understand what sin is. And thirdly, you need to understand what the blood of Jesus Christ is or what the cross of Christ means to us practically in our lives. So three things, what who God is, what sin is, and what the blood of Christ or the cross for it. Okay? What, what the blood of Christ is. Okay, three things. So number one, okay, in order to have fellowship with God and experience this fullness of joy, number one, we need to know who God is. Now, we talked about it last time, but I want to review it briefly for us because you know, there's no sin in repetition. Repetition is part of a learning process because we oftentimes forgot. You know, the thing, especially the truth that we need to continue to learn. And so, I need to repeat it, so bear with me, okay? So we talked about this point last week and we emphasized that the one character that John immediately emphasized as part of the message, as part of the gospel, um, is that God is light, right? That is the gospel in a nutshell, okay? This is the message that brings fellowship with God and joy in the Christian life. What is that message? That God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all and that is a very simple message that's the good news that's how john summarized the gospel john says this is the message we have heard from him from jesus who came to you god is light and in him there is no darkness at all it's easy right god is light in him is no darkness at all whenever there's light light always dispels darkness darkness cannot coexist with light because imagine you you go into a dark room and then you turn up the light immediately when you turn up, turn on the light the darkness will flee okay the darkness will disappear and so when there's light darkness cannot coexist with light because light always dispels with darkness in like manner 
God is light and there's no mixture of darkness in him. And that's the good news. That's the, me that's the message that John proclaims to them that brings joy. Okay? And so we need to ask this question. In light of that, we need to ask this question. What is, um, what is light? Because light is contrasted with darkness. How did the Bible define light? There's two things I wanna I want to give us. Okay, well, I want to explain last time, but I want to explain uh, to us this in this message. So first and foremost, in the Bible, light means truth. Okay, in the Bible, light means truth, epistemologically speaking. And secondly, it could also mean holiness or purity, ethically speaking. Okay? Many Bible commentators agree that light represents truth and light represents also holiness or purity. So, in light of that definition, we can look at once again what John proclaims and read it like this. God is truth and in him there is no error or lies. Okay? And secondly, we can look also look at what John is saying here as this. God is holy or pure and infinitely good. And in him, there's no hint of malicious intent or evil and impurity in his character. So we can look at uh, what John is saying here that way about God. So first of all, John is saying here is God is truth and there's no lies in him. That is the good news, okay? It means that we can rely on God on every word that He says because He is truth and in Him there's no error. There's no lies. In other words, God is perfectly truthful and we can rely, we can trust in His every word and every promises. Dili pareha si God sa imong ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend which is full of lies and paasa, okay? Humanly speaking, when we say words, sometimes we don't fulfill that word, right? And uh, we, when we make promise, sometimes we break that promise. Dili siya pare sa itong mga friends na kung manghulam mo kwarta, ang hulam dala na dito pa ngayon, dili na mawali. And we forget what we say. We don't fulfill what we say, right? God's word on other hand is his reality what he says is equivalent to it to his action For example in genesis chapter 1 when god says let there be light there was light in other words when you look at it god's word is equivalent to his action and is equivalent to his character there's no gap there's no character gap god is purely true he is Truth in himself, and he cannot lie. Error cannot exist with him. In contrast, Satua, as human being, our words contradicts us. You will fail to keep our promises to God or to someone, and especially to God. How many times, or maybe have you experienced in your life, maybe you are in a very difficult moment or in a moment of darkness, and you promise God, Lord, just deliver me out of this, and I will serve you. And I will do this for you. And then you get held, you get delivered, you escape from that. But then later on, you forget the promise to serve God. How many of you have experienced that? How many experienced at the moment of hype, at the moment of, I don't know, ecstatic moment where you cannot express your joy in God? You promised and then later on, years later, you fulfill. You fail to keep that promise. 
you know when i was in like beginning in my journey there in our tradition in student movement for christ international where i have the privilege to know the lord so every year we have this revival camp and we have this opportunity to surrender our life to god and to repent and to concentrate our life to god and yet and we see and we see legitimate responses and surrender to god we see young people like me coming to the altar and then cry and surrender our hearts to god but later on we realize that not all these promises not all of these moments of surrender uh among the keep that we continue to keep but somehow we feel along the way uh, because we do realize that surrender is not one time surrender is a daily moment by moment uh, action that we need to acknowledge ourselves in response to god but we look at that this way that we as human beings we fail in our promises unlike god god never fails in his promises because lie and error cannot exist with him god is always truth he is error free he is lies free he is there's no hypocrisy in him it cannot coexist with him and so the goodness is that we can trust him we can rely on his promises we can go to his word and take his word and trust in his word and uh, allow his word to minister to us to strengthen us because god is truth and in him there's no error and in him there's no lies so not only not only light is seen that way that god is truth but also god is holy and we we talk about it last time right god is light means that god is holy and um, it means that God cannot tolerate sin, evil, and impurity in His presence. It is contrary to His nature and character. Cannot coexist with Him. He is purely holy. You know, I have to give this illustration to you, although I don't like this illustration because it doesn't really justify this truth that we are trying to illustrate. But anyway, I have no more other illustration but i hope it illustrates and i hope it shows us the truth okay so here's here's what i mean when i say that okay um or black spinach i hate to eat to eat that kind of vegetables you know i don't know why i hate it but it's just become part of me it's part of my nature to hate alugbati so if you're cooking with something vegetables and you put the black spinach or alugbati in your cooking i can smell it from the distance even if you just put one leaf and when i taste it i can sense that naajoy alugbati or black spinach and i hate it and i don't like it it's part of my character it's part of my nature it cannot coexist with me because i don't like it i smell it i hate it i don't like it i don't want it in my presence i don't have the appetite for it in like manner god's character is like that god is holy and evil lies hypocrisy immorality cannot coexist with him that's his nature that's his character so evil is actually contradiction to his character impurity is contradiction to his character therefore impurity and evil cannot coexist with god that's why god is light in him there there's no darkness and if you want to walk in the light because god is in the light you cannot have fellowship with this darkness because it's contrary to the character of god it's contrary to the nature of god just like me alugbati is contrary to my character and to my nature all right so um uh, god is holy 
God is light. It means that God is holy. It means that God's will and intentions are always holy and good in everything He does. There's no hint of evil or malicious intent on His heart, but it's purely good towards us. That's what it means when we say God is holy. So unlike us, even our good intentions are mixed with or tainted with evil or malicious intent. You agree with that? Uh, look at the good things that you've done. Even these good things that you've done, the best of our good things that we've done, it has a little bit of a mixture of evil and malicious intent. For example, you can raise your hand in worship. You remember the time when we gather physically? You know, gather, we're excited, and we raise our hand in worship. Now, we don't know your motive, but on the other hand, you can raise your hand in worship not to express your devotion and surrender to God, but to express your spirituality so that when others will look at you, wow, that person is so spiritual. We don't know. You could have those motives as you worship the Lord. So even the best deeds that we have can have a mixture of evil inside of us. Okay. For example, another example is you can help others, you can give, you can serve, but you know, actually, one of the your motive is not just to serve people. One of the motive is you want to feel good, you want to feel acknowledged, you want to communicate to everybody how good you are. So you are not actually serving for the sake of people alone. You are actually serving yourself partly. You see. We can do good deeds, but if we are honest and examine our motivation, part of our motivation is selfishness. Part of our motivation is self-righteousness. Part of our motivation is pride. Part of the motivation ng ganahan ng mutabang sa mga tao is because we want to control them. Kaya kung mutabang to nila na sila utang na loob para sa tuwa. And so, we can do good deeds with evil intent. With malicious intent. Unlike God. God is purely good. There's no malicious intent with God. Okay? God is purely good. Everything that He wills and intentions in our lives is all holy and good. Okay? So my point is that God is light. In Him, there's no darkness at all. It means that um, um, God's entire interest and intention to us is not mixed with evil and malicious intent. Is not mixed with self selfishness. There's no hint of evil. It's purely good, and therefore we can trust him. He doesn't compromise. He doesn't lie. We can trust him. But the other side of that, it's still scary. Okay, if God is holy, God is truth. He cannot lie. You know, God is holy. There's no mixture of evil. He can compromise. He he, he will not compromise. It is good. Okay, but on the other side, it's scary because it exposes our sin, it exposes our darkness, and that means that He cannot lie as well, that He cannot let it slide our sin and darkness, that He must deal with our sin and darkness. It's good, but at the same time, it's scary. And so John is saying here to us, this says, if we claim to have fellowship with God, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In other words, as a believer, we have fellowship with God. Therefore, we walk in the light. As we walk in the light, there's two things we need to pursue. We need to continue to walk in the truth 
and we need to continually progress in holiness as well if we claim to have fellowship with God. And John says that's the key to a fellowship with God. That's the key to experiencing subterranean joy in our fellowship with God. You need to understand who God is. God is truth. God is holy. Number two, okay? If we're going to experience fellowship with God, not only we need to understand who God is, but we need to understand what sin is, okay? We need to understand what sin is. Now, when you read this passage, once again, you will notice instantly, okay, that John repeats this word sin, okay? Uh, five times and six times if you include the word unrighteousness. And it's important for John to emphasize that because clearly his readers have a misunderstanding about sin. Let's read in First John 1 verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So obviously there are uh, people in 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 which he wrote these letters, there are people who claim they haven't, they have not sinned. Okay, and so John says, if we claim that we have not sinned, we make God a liar, and His word is not in us. In other words, if we are going to have fellowship with God, we must have a biblical understanding and response toward sin. Okay, so how do you know you are a Christian? How do you know you have a fellowship with God? You have a biblical understanding and response toward sin. Now, John later defines sin in a very obvious way. Okay, later in, in his letter, and we will tackle that in the future. John says that sin is transgression of the law, the law, the standard. God has a certain standard for us. When we do not reach the standard, when we fail to reach the standard, His commandments, His standard, then we sin. And that's a basic, basic, basic definition of sin. But if you look at in the Bible, okay, and from Genesis into the Revelation and you really study sin, sin is more than breaking the law, okay? Sin is more than deeds. Sin is actually our outlook sin becomes part of us it becomes our nature our mindset in psalm 51 verse 5 sin is more than this become part of us david king david the moment he sinned he confesses okay he was confronted by nathan about his adultery and his murder and so david realizes and confronted with god's light with god's holiness and so he saw his sin and so we confess that in Psalm 51 verse 5. David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. I was shaped in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. In other words, David understands that sin is not just something he does. Sin is something who he is. Okay, It's part of his nature. And that's why in the New Testament, there's a term called sinful nature. There is an inward bent toward evil that's inside of us. There's something in us that is naturally anti-God. And that's a biblical understanding of sin. Sin is not just limited of something you do like adultery, lying, and so on and so forth. And we can list some sins and we can limit into it into a category of action. But sin is more than action. It's a mindset 
It's nature. It's part of us. And Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 23, this is what Jeremiah says in light of that. Jeremiah says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin? They're black people, so he cannot change their skin. Or the leopard, his spots? Then also you can do then also you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. In other words, if an Ethiopian cannot change his skin, just like us who are accustomed to do evil, it's hard for us to change ourselves because we are naturally accustomed to do evil because of this natural bent in us to do evil, to be selfish, to be self-centered, and so on and so forth. And I will give you an illustration for this. Okay, uh, I, I, I usually do the grocery, okay, sa Mombalai. So every, once a week, I go to the mall and you know do our, our groceries. And so sometimes na ako'y cart na makuha, and kining cart na ako makuha is dili kayo maayo na iguba-guba yung wheel okay the wheel the cart doesn't function well and so every time I push the cart instead of going in this direction the cart will lead me into another direction have you experienced that? experiencing having a bad cart a well cart in the mall in the grocery I experienced that and it's really really frustrating because the moment you push the cart in this side it goes to the other side and that is an illustration of our sin. We want to go in the right way, but somehow because of our sin, we go in the wrong way. We make wrong, wrong, wrong decision. That's why the first thing that God does as the miracle of our salvation is to change our heart. Okay? So demolish this sin in us, this anti-God in us, in our heart, and to replace our heart and to give us a new heart and new spirit. This is what Ezekiel 36, 26 is all about. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give a new heart. This is a promise of the new covenant. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone, the heart that is bent toward evil, okay? Um, uh, the, the cart that is that has not uh, a, good, a damaged well, okay? Kumbaga, i-remove na sa from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. God will, that's a miracle of salvation. A miracle of salvation is not you trying to change, but God in His mercy and grace is changing you through the gospel. Okay? And this is what God does in our salvation. And one of the mark, one of the, of the evidences that this happens in your life is that you have new responses towards sin. Okay? One of the evidence nga, na ay miracle of salvation sa mga kasing is that na ay bago nga response, new responses toward sin. So how do you know you are a real Christian? In fact, let me, let me ask you this, okay? How would you differentiate a Christian from a moralist and religious person? How do you know? How do you differentiate them? Because on the outside, it's really hard to identify them. Okay? How do you identify as someone who is a Christian, a real Christian, and a Christian who is religious and a moralist? Because they both go to church and express their love for God by doing good deeds. They both try to serve. They both try to give their money. They both try to avoid sin and temptation. But how do you differentiate them? Because on the outside, they're just like the same. Now, you can actually differentiate them by how they respond to their sin and failure. It's just very important. How do you differentiate a religious moralist versus a real Christian? 
by how they respond to sin and failure in their life. Now, a religious moralist person is a person whose confidence is based on his performance. Okay? He would say, I know God loves me because I serve in the church. I know God loves me because I read my Bible. I know God likes me because I try to avoid sin. I know God loves me because I'm this person. I'm a hardworking, moral person. Therefore, his confidence is in his performance. On the other hand, a Christian is someone who's Spiritual confidence is not in himself, but solely on what Jesus Christ has done for him. And so we would say that, I know God's love me, not because I'm good, but because of what Christ has done for me. And so how do you differentiate a Christian, a real Christian, and a religious moralist? It's how they respond to their sin and failure. Because a moralist, when he discovers his sin or her sin, that person will be devastated and be depressed and probably he or she will hide and pretend and justify his or her sin. Or probably, yung response mo yun siya, well, maulaw na ako sa ginoo. Kamo niya akong gibuat sa akong kinabuhi. Now, kanang statement, it sounds pious, but actually it reveals an anemic understanding of the gospel and what Christ has done on the cross. It is, it is a wrong response to the gospel. And so the moralists will be depressed, the morals will pretend, the moralists will try to justify. Why? Because his confidence is based on his spiritual performance. On the other hand, a Christian, when he discovers his sin, although he is not happy about it, he is sad and is grieving towards his sin, his grieving is... Is not leading him away from God, but is leading him towards God in repentance and confession. He is not justifying or excusing or minimizing his sin. He is not pretending that it's not there. He faces it and he faces it courageously in order to bring it into the light. Why? courage to bring it into the light. Why? Because his confidence is not based on his performance, but based on what Jesus Christ is. That's why Nasha courage, although yes, naika olaw na grief, but he has the courage to bring it to light because his ultimate confidence is not in himself. It's on what Christ has done. So how do you differentiate a religious moralist and a Christian? That's how you differentiate their response towards sin and failure. One responds in depression and devastation and tries to hide, and the other responds in faith and repentance, bringing it into the light, confessing his or her sin and repenting, asking God to change that person. Okay? So, for a Christian, for a Christian, the more he walks in the light, the more he sees his sin. The more makita niya ang holiness, you know, the more makita niya yung sin. And the more he sees the depth of his sin, the more he appreciates the cross and the love of God and the mercy of God in his or her life. And the more he is open and honest about his sin because his spiritual confidence is not in him but it what in, in what Christ has done. So it's like what we talked about last time about the gospel-centered life. The more you see God's holiness and the more you see the depth of your sin, your appreciation of the cross is getting big, bigger. 
Because the more you see your brokenness, the more you appreciate God's love and God's mercy to you. And this is very, very important. Now, for a moralist, for a moralist, the more he sees his sin, the more depressed and the more hypocrite he could he could have been. And the more pretentious his life is, and the more he continued to live in darkness and despair. And that's a problem because you can respond. We all sin at some point, and you can respond in faith and repentance, or you can respond in hiding and pretentious towards darkness and despair. And so the question then is for us is this. Which one are you? How is your understanding of sin? How is your response toward your sin, towards your failure? Think about your own failure. Think about your current failure last month, last week, or just think about what, what brings into your mind. How do you respond to your sin? How do you respond to your failure? Do you respond in faith and repentance toward God, or do you respond in justification, hiding, and pretending? Chances, if we confess our sin, He is just and faithful. To, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Okay? So here's my question to you. Are you putting your confidence in Christ and what He has done for you? Or do you put your confidence in, in yourself and your performance? The other choice leads to humility and grace the other leads to pride, self-righteousness, and despair, and of course, darkness. One key factor, okay, before we proceed to the next point, one key factor for you to understand, if you really understand the depth of your sin and the greatness of God's grace in your life, is this, is that you are not judgmental to people who fall into sin are still struggling into sin what is your attitude not just to yourself but to the people who are falling into sin or struggling into sin do you pray for them or do you judge them do you pity them and pray that God has be merciful on them or do you silently gossip them and try to judge them and try to look down on them See, here's how you know you understand grace and understand the depth of your sin. Your response to the struggling and broken people is always humility and brokenness. Thinking, I could have done that. Thinking, I could do worse than that. See, unless you understand that, you cannot have a fellowship with God. Unless you understand the depth of your sin and the depth of God's love for you, you will never enjoy a fellowship with God. So, first and foremost, you need to understand who God is. Secondly, you need to understand what sin is. And thirdly, you need to understand what the blood of Jesus Christ is, okay? If we're going to fellowship with God, if we're going to enjoy God, we need to understand the blood of Jesus or the cross of Christ. John says, if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. In verse 9, He says, If we confess our sin, He is faithful just to forgive us our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we learn that God is light and in Him there's no darkness at all. And the moment we understand that, 
we are then confronted by the reality of our own sin, our own darkness in our life. And so the question then is for us is this, how can we walk in the light when we are still struggling with our own sins? What's the key of walking in the light? Because this is the key in our fellowship with God, right? And enjoying God. So how do we continuously walk in the light as God is in the light? And John tells us here the key is to use or apply or to understand the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, first and foremost, let's define the blood of Jesus the blood of Jesus is not magic, magic formula, okay, to uh, to push away the devil or anything. Because some Christians are superstitious enough to use is to use it like a charm. The blood of Jesus Christ depart and so on and so forth. That's not what John intends in here. John is saying that through the blood, of, you need to understand the blood of Jesus. It means you need to understand what Christ has done on the cross. It's truth, its reality, its significance, and apply it practically in our, our life in order to experience its power. So, dili ni siya magical incantation. It's a theological understanding that you need to grasp in order to apply it in your life to combat sin and temptation and to combat guilt and accusation against us as we continue to walk in the light. Okay? So, there are, there are two ways that John gives to us how we can use the blood of Jesus Christ practically in our lives. So first and foremost, the blood of Jesus Christ is our incentive to obedience. Okay? It's our incentive or motivation. It gives us power to obey. According to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, Peter says, He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might Die to sin and live to righteousness. So the very purpose, one of the very purpose that Jesus Christ died on the cross, bore our sins on the tree, is so that we might die to our sin. In other words, our relationship is makat up. That's one of the purpose why Jesus Christ endured the cross, why he was shamed, why he was beaten, why he was mocked. That grotesque our morbid picture of Calvary is a reminder of the darkness of our sin and is a reminder for us to cut off, to die to sin, to cut off in our relationship with sin. Okay? And that's very important. And when we remember that, that Jesus suffered for our sin, in the moment of temptation, we can have the courage to obey and not fall into sin. But the problem with us, the moment... There's temptation. We forget that. So during the temptation, our mindset is that ah. During the temptation, our mindset is okay, afterwards. So our thinking usually revolves around ourselves rather than the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, here's my challenge to you. The next time you and I are tempted, remember the cross. The next time you are tempted, remember Jesus stretching his hand on the cross, dying for you, saying, I die so that you could live. I die. I bore the shame, the mockery, the spit, the dirt, because I want you to be free from sin, no longer serving sin. Remember that at the moment of your temptation. Okay? Kumbaga, there's a reason why in the four gospel, 
much of the section is all about the passion of the Christ. Why? Because God wants us to meditate the impact of our sin by looking at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in looking that, we can be delivered from the temptation and we can have the incentive towards obedience. Okay? That's how you apply the reality of the blood of Christ in the moment of temptation. So, so that you can continually walk in the light as God is in the light. So, it, it brings motivation and obedience as we think and ponder and meditate what Christ has to go through in order to sit us from sin. Number two, okay? The blood of Christ not only has given us incentive towards obedience, but the blood of Christ also has this restorative power for our disobedience because the question is yes we have the power to obey okay but what happened if we disobey what happened if we sin john is saying don't worry about that because if ever we sin the blood of christ has the power to restore us once again and to cleanse us once again so even we are no longer walking in darkness we can still do the deeds of the darkness as a christian that's why John says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means when we sin, sin should no longer cripple us. Okay, We should no longer be crippled by the guilt of our sin. And many of you cannot progress in your Christian life because you are still looking in yourself. And you are still looking... And you're still saying, how can God loves me when I'm like this? And see, so you are still crippled by the guilt of your sin. And in doing that, you are disbelieving the power of the cross, the blood of Jesus Christ, to heal you and to cleanse you. And that is a very serious thing that you need to understand. Because when you excuse yourself, okay, well, I cannot turn to God because I'm like this. I, I'm cannot, I cannot come to God because I'm like this. You are actually disbelieving or uh, expressing that what Christ has done is not powerful enough to save you. You know? And so this is a very, very important. So I want you to hear John's word, especially if you're struggling right now in your Christian life. Maybe you have a past that still haunts you today. Or maybe you, you did something and it just diminishes your spiritual confidence to God. In fact, it affects the way you pray. It affects the way you live your Christian life. In this season that is hard for us sometimes we struggle with that and so sometimes we don't have this confidence to approach together because none of shame so i want you to hear john's words to you john says god is faithful he is faithful in his promise to forgive you not only is faithful he is just okay i want you to think right now of your sin he is faithful to cleanse us to forgive us our sin and not just to forgive us our sin I want you to enumerate your sin right now. Enumerate your sin this week, last week, last month, this year. Whatever is weighing you down. You know? Laziness, lust, unforgiveness, bitterness, gossip. Whatever it is that the Spirit of God is convicting you. John says, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And not just forgive us. But to cleanse us from all, not some, all unrighteousness. 
In other words, not it's just enough to be forgiven. You must be cleansed in your conscience. You must come to a point where you say, wala na kay burden. You've been set free. And that's the gift for you. That's the power of the blood of Christ. He's not only forgiving you legally, but you know, subjectively, you can, you can sense that there is cleansing in you the moment you are honest and confessing your sin against God. That's the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. So God will rescue you in His faithfulness and His mercy to cleanse you from all the shame, to cleanse you from all the guilt, to cleanse you from all the feeling of unworthiness. Okay? So that, dili na ka mukhaingan, ay, maulaw na ako, di na ako mapakita, dugay na ako wala katin, online service, pastor, maulaw na, ko. When every time you say that, you are frustrating the grace of God available to you. You are believing the lies of the evil one. Every time you say, maulaw na ako maatid ng small group, or maulaw na ako maatid simban, or maulaw na ako, you are allowing the accusation of the devil to win over the power of the gospel and the power of what Christ has done on the cross for you. See, Jesus conquered everything. He conquered our sin. You know, he went to hell for you. You know, it's not the nails that hold him on the cross. It's his love for you. He bore it for you so that you can have fellowship with God, so that you can be forgiven and you can be cleansed from all unrighteousness so that you can be set free. No shame. No sense of unworthiness, but only forgiven, accepted, and loved. That's the invitation for you. And that's the key to experiencing fellowship with God and a subterranean joy as a result of that. And so, that's what the blood of Christ is. In temptation, it is an incentive to obedience. In accusation, it is a restorative power for cleansing your conscience. So, I don't know... I don't know what's happening in your life right now. I don't know your struggle. I don't know on the weakness nimo aning a season sa mong life. I don't know how the devil is accusing you, the voices that weighing you down in your Christian life. Maybe meaning ka wala kay basa sa Bible guilty na kay ko dili na ko worthy, dili na ko ingon ani. I don't know what's weighing you down. I don't know the the frustration and the voices that weighing you down. But I believe right now I want you to pause and I want you to remember that the power of the cross is greater. The power of the blood of Jesus Christ is greater than your guilt. It's greater than your sin. It's greater than your mistakes. It's greater than your failure. It is. It has the power to forgive you, to cancel all your debts. It has the power to cleanse you so that you can come to God right now as you are, to walk in the light as He is in the light. And so this is the message that we have heard from Him. We proclaim to you, God is light. In Him, there's no darkness at all. And so if He is in the light, we must walk in the light. And as we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And maybe right now you need that cleansing. And so I invite you for a moment to come to God and say, Lord, I need that cleansing. I need to get off these baggages in my life right now because this guilt, this shame is affecting my relationship to you, my relationship with other people. This is the invitation of God for you. Repent from your sin. 
trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not trust in your spirituality. Do not trust in yourself. Trust in the mercy and grace of God in your life. I want to end this message by quoting Tim Keller. Tim Keller says about the gospel. The gospel says you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, but you are more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope. And that's the balance of it all. And that's the key in order to have fellowship with God and to experience the fullness of joy that God has for us. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for your truth, for your message. Thank you for reminding us of who you are. Thank you for reminding us what our sin is. But thank you for reminding us about the power of the cross, the power of the blood of Jesus Christ in our life practically as we pursue obedience and as we battle the accusation of the devil in our hearts that tries to steal our joy. Rather than rejoicing in what you have done on the cross, we sometimes go into ourselves and create this self-pity party of ourselves about our shame, about our guilt, rather than rejoicing and celebrating the power of the cross. So grant us, Lord, this illumination that we will clearly see that your grace is powerful than our sin and your blood is powerful than our guilt. And Lord, I pray that we will trust in the reality of that and we will trust that in Jesus we are cleansed. In Jesus we are forgiven. In Jesus we are loved. We are accepted. We can pursue in obedience because of what you've done in the power of your spirit. Grant us this courage. Grant us this perspective. In the name of Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining me once again. And I hope you are reminded of the gospel. And I hope you are encouraged today. And whatever you are, you're struggling, I would encourage you after this message to pour it out to the Lord. Come to the Lord, you know. And come to Him and asking Him to lay the burden in your hearts right now. And so I'm praying for that. And especially if you have questions about this message, please join us. Join us in our Zoom after um, zoom post service fellowship okay the link will be provided down below so if you are blessed by this message if you are blessed by this series of our study in version you can invite your friends actually you can tag them you can privately message them and invite them to join us every sunday 9 30 a.m okay on whatever time zone your friends is okay you can invite them as well this is part of our privilege in this online platform we can invite people they don't have to travel we can just give them the link and invite them to join in our service so that through the gospel they will be reminded and they will be restored to god to the power of the good news so that is our goal as a church that is our prayer and thank you for joining us thank you for always praying behind the scene thank you for inviting people god bless you guys so wherever you are wherever you've been we will say to you that you are love god bless you